Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So I'm talking this morning about a people without borders, and um, really this is sort of a story of my life experience in church community as a leader and society, kind of observing the way our culture's gone after working with young people for many years and the, the barriers that exist between generations, between cultures, and our own hearts, between people that are just different to us, and the invitation of the people of God to be a people without borders, to love across borders, and to connect widely and deeply as family is invited to. And so I want to kind of help. I'm going to start by just talking through some stuff that we see in society and kind of bringing our attention to it. And I have to give props to our man, Rich Nathan, who's the pastor of Vineyard Columbus in Ohio. And he's he's, um, uh, an amazing, long-suffering and gone long and strong leader in the Vineyard movement over in America. But he um, came and spoke to our leaders team a number of years ago, and it really solidified some of my thinking on this. And um, and he talked to me about this Twitter conversation thread that happened. And I, I want to start with this because it kind of frames it all. But there was this Twitter argument that kind of uh, fired up uh, on the interwebs. And um, it was the baby boomers versus millennials. And you can look it up. There's some funny stuff on there. And it was sort of a tit for tat between the boomers and the millennials. And one person tweeted, a boomer, how do we confuse a millennial? Show them a first place trophy. <laughs> Another one commented, tell them your numbers in the book. And uh, I was chatting with someone this morning, actually, just as they were coming in, and she talked about defragging their hard drive. I'm like, you could definitely confuse a millennial by saying, telling them to defrag their hard drive. They'd be like, oh, what are you? You know, but boomers taking on social media and millennials was never going to end well. It's kind of like playing the Crusaders in Christchurch, isn't it? And one wrote, I'm already confused. I didn't know this many old people even use Twitter. Um, <laughs> Another one sarcastically said, sure, come and help me set up one of those Twitter accounts so, you can, so I can tell the world how bad your generation is. <laughs> oh, these guys. Um, uh, and so by way of introduction, I want you to meet my nana. This is my 96-year-old nana who passed away a couple of months ago. And that's my boy Max, the wee, <laughs> the wee field dancer. And he's helping nana blow out the candles. And um, my nana... And uh, our family have had a close relationship over her lifetime, and she's lived through some incredible things. She saw the rise of flight in New Zealand, commercial flight and flying. You know, that was, you know, sort of happened in her lifetime. She saw, obviously, and survived the wars, the Great Depression. Her, her father fought in the Boer War, World War I and World War II. And quite an incredible story. Uh, many injuries, and even though he survived that, she watched the, you know, the rise of um, different ideas ideologies and ideas, the Cold War, you know, um, the Great Depression, and the, then the you know, financial crash you know, in the sort of boomers generation. She's seen so much, going from an analog era to a digital era. She, saw, she got to drive in my electric car. I bought this little, oh, I fixed this old Nissan Leaf, um, and, you know, sort of scammed it for cheap off an insurance company and fixed it up, a bit of a car nut. And, uh, and she got to drive in it. You know, she's seen so much over that time that's changed in her experiences, not to mention the internet. And she came from an era where, uh, where being frugal was a really high value, being careful with what you had and, 
um, and you know, sort of reusing and, and, and patching things up. And she came from an area where people were committed to products. They were committed to people. She, uses the, she was using the same soap that she used to use when I was a little kid at the batch that she used when it first came out in the whatever you know, generation. She, so when she went to the supermarket and saw the wall of soaps, she only had eyes for one. You know, it's that kind of thinking. And uh, every Monday night we would get together as a whanau and, um, and my brother and his girls and my wife and boys and we'd have dinner together. We'd share a meal and uh, she would pray and, and say grace. Amazing Christian lady. And at the end of the night, she'd go off to her room because she, she didn't have much energy towards the end there. Um, but she had this beautiful uh, tradition of giving an M&M to the kids. One M&M <laughs> to the kids. So they'd file into her room. She had, the bag was open. <laughs> sort of, you know, the chocolate was white from being aged, you know. And uh, she'd be a little, there'd be a little saucer. And you could have any color you wanted, you know. And the kids would go in there and they'd kiss Nana, went on the cheek, and they'd take a color of their choice. And it really summed up so much about, you know, that generosity doesn't have to be, um, you know, from the heart as a beautiful gift. And our kids loved it. They absolutely loved it. Um, and... She passed away, and in her passing, we shared stories, and we recounted her life, and we recalled and thought about how much has changed and the challenges that our society faces generationally uh, around us. This is obviously Max at Nana's party. Um, and right after that party, you know, seeing this five-year-old boy and this 96-year-old lady, I went to a wedding. I took a wedding, and at the wedding, you know, it was cool young people like Calvin, you know, man buns and, like, you know, glamour. And, you know, then I went to a barbecue and, uh, and at the barbecue, I was chatting with a lady. You know, you kind of get the snapshot of just the complexity that we walk with. And this lady was, said, you know, this question, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm a, you know, I said, I'm a pastor and, and, um, and, and, you know, told her a little bit about that. And I said, started off doing, working with young people. And she goes, oh, and she stopped me. She interrupted me. She goes, oh, thank God, someone, she's not a Christian, is doing something about that problem. <laughs> And I thought, that's the problem. <laughs> Not rationally, that we don't even, we're afraid of each other. And we see each other as a problem in society. You know, young people are awesome. They're incredible. And if you spend time with them, you get to know that. I had a really moving experience one Easter camp. I'm a big fan of Easter camps. Been going for 20 years. I met my wife at an Easter camp. So young people, if there are any in here, uh, you can get lucky. Um, I got made up into an old person. I wore a skull cap and a fake nose, not that I needed it. And, uh, you know, got, had all the hair implants and, and crinkled skin. And, you know, up close, it doesn't look fantastic. But from a distance, it was quite a good disguise. And I obviously wore that suit, had my pipe, and I drove a mobility scooter around this Easter camp. I had a walking stick and I was poking young people. Um, and uh, me and my mate Christoph did this together, who's actually the pastor of the Story Vineyard in Wellington. And I had a profound experience. I didn't expect this. I thought it would just be comical. But it was profound in that um, I became invisible. It was a good enough disguise that if you were to look at a glance, you would think I was a 90-year-old debilitated man in a mobility scooter. And I became invisible to the young people at the camp. And unless I got right up to them with my mobility scooter and jabbed them, no one would give me any attention. And it was a moving experience as I recognized and it, for myself and felt some of the barriers that we have around us. You know, can anyone tell me, just throw it out, what the average life expectancy was? Vic can't do it because I told him last night. What the average life expectancy was in the 1900s, the global average life expectancy? 
48, very close, 60, it was 40. And that was the life expectancy. And in the UK, in England, the average life expectancy was 48 or 49, I think it was. Um, so we, have a, we live in unprecedented times when the average life expectancy in 2017 was 72 and a half. And so how much has changed over that time? And the challenge is, is that we have up to six generations in one church. <laughs> and generations are really different. Have you guys noticed that? <laughs> Values, preferences. I mean, who likes ABBA here? Hands up, admit it. I know you're out there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who likes Rage Against the Machine? Gen X's Unite. Come on. You know, and then you've got those that will enjoy a bit of Beethoven. Spice Girls. Ah, it was a trick question. Look at everyone who likes the Spice Girls. You know, we have these generations in our churches, and, you know, just by way of kind of for, for, the, for the helpful thing it is of identifying it, the, they called the greatest, this generation from 1900 to 1925, which was my nana's generation, the greatest generation because of the social commentators reflecting on, their, um, on that experience in that group of people was that they, were, they held values that were great of self-sacrifice for the greater good for others, you know, willing to lay down their lives. And they were recognized as this, the greatest generation. Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't you like to be remembered as the greatest generation? That is one heck of a badge to wear. 1925 to 1945 was the silent generation, and my nana was born in 1924, I think. And so there's this crossover there for her. And they went through and saw some pretty horrific things. You know, the, the, the wars were devastating for the, you know, the, the fabric of people's minds. And many um, withdrew into depression but didn't have a language to process that. There were, and, you know, this is the generation where children were seen but should be seen but not heard. And so, you know, it named as the silent generation. The boomers, it was like, yeah. 1946 to 1964, I said this to my church boomers and I had a roar. Like all the boomers like, yeah. They were all about themselves. And uh, then we had the Gen Xs, 1964 to 1980. Yeah, a bit of pride there. Millennials, 1981 actually, to 2000 seems to be the demographic. Any millennials in the room? Boom. Yeah, good stuff. Gen Y. Oh, yeah, the Gen Ys, that weird thing that happened in between those ones. Yeah, that no one really acknowledges. And then the, the, the Gen Zs, I think they're calling it, is the sort of the latest generation, and there's a lot of hope for the world ahead with the millennials and the Gen Zs. I know many have thrown mud at the millennials, but them and the Zs are going to bring us into the future. Bring it on. People like Calvin the Mix, I'm happy with that. So these generational differences you know, really play themselves out. My parents never liked talking about money. It was just something they didn't do. Um, and that was something they, they inherited from their parents. You know, they sort of had these sort of practices and preferences, music, values, commitment you know, was a high value in, my, uh, in, the, in the boomer worldview, a really high value, whereas options probably and opportunities and tolerance are high values in today's culture and, and, and generations. Am I right or am I? You know, and so these values play out in how we relate to one another, and they can make, make things difficult and, um, and understanding and accepting and, um, and connecting with the other. I remember watching uh, an older man see in my church a kid going for the biscuits. You know? And I'm, I'm, we like put out the biscuits, and we're like, man, the kids are going to pillage the biscuits, right? That's what they do. If they're within reach, you know. And this kid went for the biscuits, and his little podgy hand went up on the table, you know, sort of, <laughs> and he managed to smack his little gob and to grab a few. I think he just grabbed like three or four biscuits, and this old guy just barked at him. This little kid was just shocked, you know, at this old man that, that barked at him as he grabbed the biscuits. And I thought, you know, right there was this values clash. And I just put my arm around this guy, and I said, look, let's be tender with these little ones. Because don't we have to, 
be tender with the little ones that are in our midst. But there's, we see the values playing out and how it can create tension all around us. One of the things we do on a Friday or Saturday night, you know, depending on what's going on, is that as a family we watch the movies together. We just put on a movie. I'm going to get to the Bible soon, by the way. Just, I know people are worried. They're like, is this guy just chatting about stuff? Um, and um, we watch movies. And one of the things we do is we don't watch Die Hard with the kids. <laughs> I love Die Hard. But I'm willing, as someone who is more mature in the room, to sacrifice my preferences for the sake of these tender young ones. And there's an invitation to us, I think, in that in the church, is to recognize that those of us that are mature in the church need to be willing to sacrifice our preferences. Let's not force ABBA on this generation. <laughs> you know, And that goes for the style of music we play in church and the art we put on the walls. Like, Let's be willing to sacrifice some of our preferences to connect with this younger generation and to bless them because they're tender and this is where they're at. And so um, we see in the book of Acts, you know, God's design and plan for the church. And I'm going to read out from Acts 2 verses 17 in the the church, oh, no, not that one. Yeah, close enough. Um, where God birthed the church through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God birthed it. It wasn't the result of a think tank or a corporate sort of, you know, um, discussion or a brainstorm among friends. You know, this was a Holy Spirit inspired moment when the Spirit of God, as prophesied in the Old Testament, was poured out. We read it here that Peter stood up with the eleven, and it's poured out, and and he says this to the people as the spirits poured out that these these guys are operating in the in tongues, are speaking in other languages about the wonders of God, and there's something evident, like you know, amazing happening, and people are like these guys are boozed, um, and Peter stands up and he goes, no, they are not, you know, fellow Jews and you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk; they're not boozed, as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken. By the prophet Joel, I will pour out in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. This is a picture of a kingdom of God, a kingdom and a way that Jesus was teaching us that is without borders. And just pay attention to this. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, servants, both men and women. God will pour out his spirit. He's indiscriminate in his pouring out of his spirit. You know, the church has always been about crossing borders and breaking down walls since this day and inviting people into this family of spirit-filled people. Gender, rank, age, Māori, European, rich, poor, men, women, king or homeless, old and young. This is an invitation for us to be a people that walk in step with the Spirit for the sake of all. And sometimes we walk with prejudices and opinions that can separate us from one another. Even in the church, can't we? Galatians 3 so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith, through this relationship that we have with him. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. That we've taken. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise 
Abraham's seed. You are God's offspring in Jesus and heirs to the promise of God. And we can brick this in church big time. And we do. And it happens all over the show. I, there's a, there's a, a, a friend of mine who leads a church. And it's, an, it's a traditional church. And they had a tension in the church and a bunch of the young people left. And it was a bit of a tragedy at the time. And he said to me, you know what? I've decided that I'm just going to help the old saints die well. That was his vision for his church. And so there's this beautiful congregation of people, but it's all gray here. It's one generation, and the vision is literally just to lead them into death. I'm like, that's not the church. (laughs) You're missing something in your pain of that breakup. You've let go of the very call of God to be a people without borders in our churches, in our communities. And there's a, a mate of mine went to the UK and he went to a church in young London and it was a cool church. It was the place to go and it was full of young adults and, uh, and almost exclusively young adults. And I said to him, after being there for three or four years in this church, I said to him, so what are, they, what are the year groups called over in the UK? Like, Because I just didn't know whether it was year ones or forms or what they called them. And he said, oh, I don't know, actually. I said, oh, do you know any kids? In, surely you know some kids in the church. He goes, no. Nah. <laughs> no connection intergenerationally. He hung out with a great group of friends that shared all his ideas and beliefs and experiences, and he loved that. It was a hot house for that. But he was disconnected generationally completely. And I'm like, that's not a picture of the church either. It's, a, it, we're not, it's not rich. It's not full. It's not complete. And it's not operating as we're called to operate when we only have one generation and when we don't break through, when we have monolithic age groups in church. And so while I celebrate the growth of churches and, and demographs within churches, the invitation is that it's for everybody. The invitation is that we need one another. And that in having the, the complexity and the mess of cultures, generations, men and women, you know, messy kids, noisy kids, and, the, and, and, and elderly people with very different preferences. I once went to a church. I turned up in the back and there's these people in the back seat with earmuffs on. Arms crossed. It was their protest because the worship had gone through a change that up to the sound or the drummer had come in or something like that. And they're like, oh, this is too loud. And so they got going to in protest. And what I love is like, they're still there, you know? <laughs> I'm like, we're not leaving. We're just going to wear earmuffs and fold our arms like we're cross. We want everyone to know. I just thought it was hilarious. And there is something kind of cool in that. You know, Jesus challenges the attitudes of the time towards young people when he invited the little children. Let them come to me. You know, people were trying to keep the kids away. He's like, no, no, let the children come. Jesus seemed really, really focused on breaking down ideas that valued people on le- in, in levels. Or, you know, he seemed so fascinated by that. He had woman followers who he empowered, the first people to, to, um, to you know, that came to the, the empty tomb that the angels spoke to. You know, Jesus empowered women big time in his ministry. Jesus, let the little children come to you. And can you imagine the scene of Jesus with a crowd keeping children away? And he said, you know, did he say, let the little children come to me? You can imagine Jesus would have, you know, and, you know, this, you know children, when they get given permission, man, they don't walk calmly. <laughs> I do this, did this at my church. I got, a, I got a group of adults to hold the kids back. And I said, let the little children come to me. And they tackled me. <laughs> Big gang tackle over onto the... Under the ground, you know, it's a picture of the exuberance of God, and what that said to all the people around in, the, in, the, in that context would have been a powerful image. I mean, that's just the—I'm I'm arguing that from the science of Scripture, just what I know of the nature of children. But God's kingdom advances through my experience and what I see in Scripture in the history of the church, because one generation is willing to pass the message onto the generation behind them. That God gives us eyes to see 
the people around us that need him. You know, Rick Warren um, is a bit of a ledge, isn't he? Old Big Rick, Big Rick. And he says this, our culture has accepted two huge lies. This quote, by the way, has been attributed to the Dalai Lama a number of times on Facebook. It's Rick Warren. Um, I think that's hilarious. The first is, I'm sure Rick's very flattered to be <laughs> seen as that wise, is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that if you love someone, it means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. And I think this is the challenge we, we face in the, in the prejudices and opinions that we hold sometimes that sometimes need pointing out to us by others, and that's not easy either, that keep people at arm's length, maybe generationally, maybe culturally, maybe um, uh, in other ways. My parents, e.g., associate tattoos with criminal activity. That was their perception of people that were tattooed. It's like criminals get tattoos. I mean, my, me, I'm like, yeah, if you've got tattoos, you're probably going to make me a really good coffee. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this real shift that's happened, hey, you know, and, and, our, and our prejudices, though, can really hold us back. Because my father will walk into the store and see people covered in tats, and there's instantly there's these triggers and, and, and walls that come up. You know, and he's, not, he's a very kind man. He's such a lovely, kind man, and he doesn't let that stop him. But just that sense of like, you know, our upbringing shapes us and molds us, and it's complex, and we bring that into our relationships, and those misunderstandings can be really challenging. You know, in the scriptures, we see this, this metaphor of the people of God being a body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. God has put the body together that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one suffers, every suffers. If one is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And I would just ask the question, who do we say, and it's hard sometimes to be attentive to this, but who are we saying, I don't need you to? Isn't that interesting? Because... It's not just an invitation to stay in our lane. It's an invitation to actually get out of our comfort zone. It's really easy, isn't it, in our today's culture, if we have a disagreement on Facebook, just to unfriend them, stop following them. I don't need you. <laughs> it's really easy, isn't it, just to avoid people when we don't want to have to have courageous conversations. And Which I find interesting as I've grown and feel like God's leading me in this, that actually courageous conversations, gracious courageous conversations seem to be really important to Jesus when he said in Matthew 18, if, you've got, if you know someone's got something against you, go to them. Just one of you. And if it does, that doesn't work, like bring someone along. <laughs> See if you can reconcile this thing. For where two or three are gathered, there I am also. We often use that. We start church, hey, where two or three are gathered, there is Jesus. He's talking about conflict, guys. He's talking about coming together in the spirit of love and conflict and confrontation. But why? Conflict and confrontation is an invitation to building intimacy. Conflict and confrontation is an invitation to creating, uh, to building trust and love, isn't it? And I'll say this, it's a bit out there, but um, for those who are married, when you have a conflict and it goes well after that argument and disagreement and you build trust in that relationship, that's where makeup sex comes from, right? <laughs> isn't it? Because you've established something of a trust and a new love, and it builds intimacy into your relationship. It's like, oh my gosh, that was great. I love you. Oh, I love you too. Let's, anyway, be close. There's intimacy that's established in that, in that moment. And, that's, and this is the invitation for us as the church. If we're going to be intergenerational, if we're going to be a church without borders, then we have to be a people that are cool with conflict. 
But I would just frame it gracious conflict in the spirit of love, the spirit of Jesus. There I am with you. When you're in conflict with someone, think Jesus is right here. Help. And we need it, eh? Because we are not good at conflict. I want to just highlight one more thing because I heard this term years ago. Someone said to me, um, oh, that person is EGR, extra grace required, you know. They really rub me up the wrong way. Now, you know, every time I see them, I'm like, oh, Jesus, just give me extra grace for this person. And I just want to remind us of the reality that you are somebody's extra grace required person in this room, that every Sunday morning, somebody in this church is praying to the Lord, oh, Jesus, today would you give me extra grace and you're the person you know it's personality driven some of the stuff but it's just the way it is we all think that it's and it's interesting isn't it even the comment that person's extra grace required who needs the extra grace you where's the problem it's almost self-identified it's like i just need more grace like oh that's actually an invitation to grow up it's an invitation to invite the lord into my into me and to actually help me so that i can be a person that carries grace they're not the problem, you know? But we just love to outsource our issues, don't we? It's them. You are hard work for someone in your life. And that's good to remember that. I remember uh, I had this moment driving down Lineside Road, which is the main road going into Rangiora uh, in North Canterbury. And um, I was driving down Lineside Road, and I was wearing a shirt. I never wear a shirt. I was off to a council meeting, like an important meeting. And so it, feels, it looks weird on me when I wear it. Just, anyway, I was, but I was wearing it. I'm driving down the road. It's raining, and it's really cold. And I see a couple as I'm driving down the road, walking the other way through the grass verge. Like, just think normal Kiwi highways. And they're pushing a pram full of what, what look like circulars. And um, Lineside Road's, I don't know, you know, it's five kilometers long. It's a long walk through the mud and the... I'm right beside 100 kilometer hour traffic and it's a busy main road and I just felt this inkling this nudge go and see if they're okay go and pick them up and I'm driving and I have, you guys I bet don't do this you just listen to the voice of the Lord when you hear it but I was like but God I'm wearing a shirt and it's raining and I'm late I'll be late for this meeting I've got this meeting in town and it's like and so I was on a mission and it just that that compulsion became stronger and I'm like, oh blow it and so I you know begrudgingly turned the car around and I, um, and I picked up these guys, I pulled over and I said hello, introduced myself and we kind of had this wet, weird conversation and, I, and it ended up they were keen for a ride and so I threw the pram in the back full of stuff and then the lady hopped in and I called a friend because I couldn't fit everything in the car because there was so much, there was two sec, prams full of circulars and anyway and so I called my friend and, and she, without hesitation, much more godly than I am, she came you know, on my way and she zoomed to pick up this dude and I um, dropped her off in where she wanted to in Rangiora and uh, and as I was dropping her off, and I got the pram out, and I was dusting myself off, and I'm like, great. She opens up her arms. <laughs> she goes, oh, thank you so much. And she's saturated. Like, she's wearing a puffer jacket, so it's like she's oozing water. And, and I, so I, try, I give her this really sort of like half hug, and she just brings me in, you know, like, um, soaked through. You know, in an instant, I just feel it all over me. And as I unlock from the hug, you know, um, I... I just again feel this nudge of God, just give her, give her the money in your wallet. And I, for weird reasons, had cash in my wallet that day. And so, uh, you know, I'm like, alrighty. <laughs> um, God bless you. And, um, and I hopped in the car and I burnt away and I was frustrated and angry. And I was frustrated because I'm, you know, I'm late, I'm wet, I smell bad because it's like that jacket was not a nice smelling jacket. And it's on me. And I've just lost, yeah, whatever, lost, just lost some money. <laughs> and I'm cross with God. And I'm just like muttering to myself. And I, and I was 
in my, I was processing it. And I'm like, oh, I'm late, I'm wet, and I stink. And I just felt the Lord say this to me. It smells wonderful to me, Scotty. And in that moment, he schooled me. In that moment, I learned something about the nature of a God that crosses borders. And I was reminded of how good he is, how much of an egg I am, you know. When you, but in a wonderful way, you know, when God schools you, it's just healing. It's not actually, you know, sometimes you feel exposed, but it's also healing. And in that moment, he healed something in my heart. And I want to say that we need to go this journey to let the power of God's love push us past our objections, our opinions, and our differences so we can truly see the person that is the object of his affection that's right beside us. We need one another. We need the teenagers. They bring the fun. They bring the crazy. They'll jump on couches. They'll break stuff. We need them. Don't snap at them. Laugh with them. Listen to their jokes. Invite them around for lunch. They're not going to ask themselves around, but teenagers love to eat. <laughs> you know, make a way. We desperately need young families. They bring the joy of the new life into the church. It was neat meeting Steve and his little boy this morning. Steve? It is Steve. Got that right? Um, you know, these precious little ones are amazing. He's such a cool wee dude, hey man. And, you know, we need them in our churches. They bring something to us that's precious and teaches us about the image and nature of God. And we need young adults in our church. We need the Calves that bring fresh eyes. You know, when I chat with Calv, he's, he's wrestling with Scripture and how we're missing it as the church and what's important to people and what's important in the Scriptures. He's wrestling with the stuff. When I chat with young adults, I'm challenged. We need them and we need to give them the space to explore and call us into a greater alignment with Scripture and life, right? Because it's so easy to get out of whack. And young adults do that. They challenge. And we need to listen. We need to empower that, not just fob them off. We need their fresh eyes and passion. We desperately need those that are seasoned in the faith, those with snow on the roof but a fire in their hearth, you know, that would bring wisdom of experience, of maturity, because you may not know how to use Twitter. <laughs> you may. Good on you. But you know about relationships. And you know about what's important. And the young in our church need that. That is really, really important. And so this is an invitation to cross borders and to connect. This is an invitation to share lunches and at church on a Sunday to try and cross those you know, opinions and prejudices, meet someone new, connect, love deeply, and let the Lord minister to our hearts in that process and teach us of himself. Why don't we stand together and um, just invite God into the midst, eh? Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.